listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 as we continue on in a series from the book of Acts and we're picking it up in chapter 9 because the last three falls, the fall season in the month of October, we have been working through slowly the book of Acts. And, and um, our, in our launch year, uh, we started out The Church Begins, and we looked at the first few chapters, and I think we have a little image of that, and um, of, of how the church begins as we launched as a church. Um, and then last fall, we looked at The Church on the Move, and, and we continued on through um, the early uh, books, or the early chapters in the book of Acts, and we see the gospel starting to spread out from Jerusalem. And now, in 2016, we're going to continue on right up until Christmas. The church multiplies, and, and how the church, the multiplied growth happened in some of the most unlikely ways. And the way that we see here today that the church multiplied and incredible things took place was because of an unlikely salvation story. And here we are going to look at one of the most famous one of the most important, even uh, in the history of the church, in the history of our world, the salvation story of an unlikely person. The mighty, the strong Saul of Tarsus came to know Jesus in a personal way here in Acts chapter 9. The ushers have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, didn't bring one today or don't have one, they can hand those out to you. They would love to be able to put one in your hand so you can follow along in Acts chapter 9 as we'll be looking at that in a few moments. Um, but as we look at the salvation story of the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, where his name was then changed from the Apostle Paul, Saul, he was named initially after King Saul, the mighty King Saul, the first king of Israel. But later on we see that as he comes to know Christ, his name is changed to Paul, which means small, which means humble. And, and we see this transformation take place not only in his name, but in his life. He was transformed into one of the greatest preachers, a church planter, a missionary, and he ended up writing most of the New Testament. 12, 13 books are ascribed to uh, the Apostle Paul. And who would have ever have thought, and it all happened because of an encounter that he had with Jesus. And I have to wonder today, who, who in your world, who in your life today is way out there. You think of this person, you think of this situation, and you think there is no way. This person is so far out there, they are so deep in sin, they are so far away from God, that there is really no hope from what you can see of that person ever coming to know Jesus. Who is it? Who do you have in your mind? Uh, do you have you know, some sort of an image of, of who that person is? You might even want to write down their name and um, encourage you to be thinking of that person even in light of what we're talking about here today. Maybe it's a friend on social media that you have that, that is, is mocking and, and ridiculing Christians and even if you post something on there that they kind of take some shots at you or maybe it's somebody at the workplace, somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a family member who just seems to get those little digs in and you think there's no way. Or maybe that person is just super nice. You know they're not a believer in Christ. They don't attend church. They would even say, I don't believe. You know, maybe they even would say they're an atheist and they're super nice people. 
And you think, you know, like, um, but they don't know Christ. And so they're going along in, the, in their life and they're nice people, they're giving people, maybe even putting some Christians to shame, and yet they don't know Christ. Can you think of that person? I encourage you to be thinking of that person today. Maybe it's a handful of people and you need to write down their names so you remember. We're gonna, we want you to do something with those people and with those names even today. I remember when we were pastoring in Alberta, we, there was a guy who started coming to the church by the name of Wayne. And he started coming to the church because his wife had been coming to the church and, and she ended up coming to know Christ and she was baptized and, and, and this growth, this change, this transformation was happening in her life and he was way out there. He was not a believer and he was very clear about that but he wanted to come and see just what exactly was going on and he wanted to see what we were indoctrinating her with. And he would sit Sunday after Sunday, would attend more regularly than most regulars and would sit with his wife and he would sit there with his arms crossed and with the worst kind of just snarly little smirk on his face. And whenever I would look at him, it was like this look of, you've got to be kidding. Like you are just, you're just full of it, you know? And, and he would give me this certain smart aleck look as I was preaching and it would just, it would drive me crazy at times as I'm preaching because I just know what, what, or I'm thinking what I know what is churning in his mind. And then it would seem that oftentimes when the sermon would come down to the crunch spot and, and it would be like, okay, here we're really dialing in, he would get up and we had chairs that kind of made some, some noise and, and he would make sure he made some noise and as a wood floor and he'd go marching out of the church and he, he would head out. And I'm like, good, get him out of here. That's what I'm thinking. That's not what I'm saying. And oftentimes, as we would drive home uh, from church, the conversation wasn't, wasn't that a delightful day in church today? And sometimes we would say that, and oftentimes we would. But it was also like, why is Wayne here? What a pain. That guy, I mean, and, and these were words that we, uh, we would say to each other, Charlotte and I, and even at one point she said, someone just needs to put, them, put him over their lap and give him a good spanking. Just because he would conduct himself out in the lobby and talking to people and people would be kind and try to be gracious to him and he just wasn't buying it. You know someone like that? You have someone in your life like that? How about someone in our world? How about, how about, you know what, you think of who is the most unlikely person in our world that you would say they would never come to know Christ? How about Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? Do you know who that is? That's actually this guy's name here that you see on the screen. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Quite proud that I can actually say that name and I think I'm even saying it somewhat correct. Do you know who he is? He's a leader of ISIS. He is leading the Muslim extremists whose goal is to spread their beliefs throughout the entire world and they will wipe out any threat. We all know about ISIS, but did you know about Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? Creating so much fear and terror in our world. And what is our first response when all of a sudden you put the connection together that that person on the screen is wiping out Christians and is, is creating so much terror in our world? Our first reaction is, I hope they get him. I hope they kill him. I hope they, they, they find him, they hunt him down. There's a $10 million hit on his life to either have him captured or killed. Want to make some quick money? Go and, and, and try to take out Abu Gabor al-Baghdadi um, and, and, and see what, what happens. And, and we, we sometimes think, you know, we, this guy is so out there and is our first response, our first idea ever to pray for a person like that. Pray that the Lord would save them. Pray that the Lord would do a deep work in their heart and bring them to salvation. Do we pray for people like that? 
Or how about world leaders right now? And you see some of the influential people in Canada, our prime minister. You see Hillary and the Donald show that is going on south of the border. And, and, and it's amazing, folks, when you kind of, I mean, everything is so engrossed in the Hillary and the Donald and everything that's going to happen. And that is an important election. That is a big deal. But you know who's one of the most powerful people is in our universe right now? One of the most powerful people in our world would be Putin. And if you go and you find out and you read, and, and you don't find out a lot about this in our news because it's all about Hillary and Donald, what he said, what she said in Twitter and all of these different things. But what he is doing at this time, he is, is creating quite a bit of havoc in our world and we may be seeing more of a response of some things that Russia would do. And we, these are very serious days. These are days that we have to realize that Bible prophecy is unfolding before us. And I believe that, I mean, we're watching end times happen. And one of the interesting things as you study Bible prophecy, you don't see a lot of the United States being very prominent in, in Bible prophecy. And we are seeing the United States being replaced as a superpower in our world by other nations. And we are seeing things happening in, in South Korea. And, and we're seeing, you know, just, just so much unrest and, and, and various things happening in our world. And we think, what about these people? What would happen if Jesus Christ met the Russian prime minister? Is he prime minister or president? Whatever he is, the Lord knows and, and uh, political scientists know exactly who he is. What if he came to know Christ in a personal way? What about Donald or Hillary came to genuinely, truly come to know Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, what would happen? We are to pray for the salvation of these kind of people. We are to pray for those people who are way out there. And for the followers of Christ here in the book of Acts as we dig into this passage and for the, this young church in the book of Acts, their greatest threat was Saul. Saul from Tarsus who would be basically labeled a terrorist in their day. Here he was a devout Jew who was set on destroying the church, imprisoning and killing Christians. And when we first find out about Paul, we look, about, we look at him, and sometimes I'm going to interchange the names Saul and Paul. It just, I'll get confused on that. I think you'll know who I'm talking about. The first time we read about Saul from Tarsus is in Acts chapter 7. And he is there, he is present when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is not only, first of all, sharing this message, this profound gospel message about Jesus Christ, Paul is there, he's listening to all of this, but then he is there when Stephen is martyred, the first Christian martyred, and, and we see that he not only was present, but he even gave the execution orders. He gave the approval for Stephen to die. And so we see that this is where we first run into Saul of Tarsus. And now in, in chapter 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 because here we see Saul of Tarsus showing up once again. And it says in verse 1, Acts 9, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And you see, what happened is Stephen's death, watching Stephen die, 
ended up inspiring and motivating Saul to continue on. His goal was nothing short of complete extermination of Christianity, of people of the way, of people who were following this Jesus. And Saul was educated. He was trained by one of the top Jewish teachers of the day. He was ambitious. And he would have seen himself as a good person. He was very spiritual, very devout, very religious to the God of the Old Testament. And he was taking care of what he thought was a real problem and a real threat to Judaism. And we get a little picture, I encourage you to write down Acts 26, because there we see Paul giving his testimony to King Agrippa. And it is an amazing kind of, it gives us more detail into his salvation story and, and how God got hold of him and what was going on. And I want to read from you Acts 20, from Acts 26, verse 9. And here is a bit of his personal testimony that he's giving to the king. He said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So we see this guy, he's just hungry. He wants, to do, he wants people to blaspheme, to deny Christ. And he will take violent me methods um, in order to be able to do this, putting them in prison. And we see that he even had them put to death. Men and women, not just, just dealing with, with men, but also that he did this towards women. And so in verse 1, we see this word, still breathing. It says, but, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Now, the Greek language is very precise. And when it says that word breathing just isn't, you know, kind of uttering out these threats with his voice, what is basically it is telling us here in the Greek language is that this was intoxicating for him. He was breathing this in and he was breathing it out. It was just inspiring him. It, it kind of like the example in Greek would be that of a horse that has been trained to be a war horse and how it can smell the battle and will snort. You ever see those cartoon pictures or, or you hear of a horse kind of snorting? This is what it is. Like, like this just inspired him. This was just let's go and, 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 and he's in a snorting kind in the way the horse will snort is the way that this was so intoxicating for Saul. He, he just couldn't get enough of it. He was so ambitious. He, he's violent. He's addicted and he just wants more. And so he goes to the chief priests and he says, I want to go to Damascus and I want to take care of any threats that are there as well. And so he gets permission to go to Damascus. But something happened there on that day on the road to Damascus. Now, Damascus, you see Jerusalem, that's where he is, and he's, he's heading up to Damascus, and he, he's on his way there. It's about 200-kilometer journey, um, five to seven days probably it would have taken him to get there. And just as they're getting to the outskirts of the city, he's probably looking over his paperwork, just like the way that we'll, you know what, check to make sure our passports and everything are ready when we're about to travel and enter into a new territory. And so Saul is probably just, just going through, just checking to make sure his paperwork from, from the chief priests and everything, that he's able to come in here and he's able to have his way with believers, drag them out of their homes, do whatever it takes, drag them back to Jerusalem, put on trial, imprison them, and even kill them. And so he's ready to go. And as they were nearing Damascus, his life would suddenly change dramatically and forever. It would never be the same. 
And what we see here is a total shocking salvation story. And I trust, and it is my prayer today, folks, that as we look to God's word, my prayer is that we would see what happened to Saul, and first of all, we would be filled with gratefulness, that God would save a wretched person like Saul. But we would look and we would see ourselves and give thanks if you know Christ today. We would be so grateful and thankful for our salvation in Jesus Christ. And that today we would be filled with great faith to not give up on seeing the most vilest offender, that person who was way out there. We would not give up and we would pursue with prayer and with actions to see lost people come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Scripture is clear. God's heart is for all people. Hashtag, you could even say it, all lives matter. We're seeing a lot of that these days, not just black lives matter. It's all lives matter to God. He does not want anyone to perish. And, and listen up, you, you pay attention to this. This is so important. No one is so good that they don't need to be saved. And no one is so bad that they cannot be saved. That is good news. That we need Jesus, that everyone needs Jesus. And people need to hear that message today. And they need to hear it not just from here. They need to hear it out there. They need to hear it through your mouth, through your actions, through, through the way that you are, are sharing as you are proclaiming the word of God to those around us. We're all in this together. So let's dig into this passage. And the first thing I encourage you to write down here that we see in this passage is salvation rests with God. Salvation rests with God. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. As we continue on, it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. Now, I don't know if you remember this. Some of you won't because you're too young. In the mid or, or in the 1980s, I was just a mere infant at that time, there was this campaign that a lot of churches, and the church that I attended in Regina was a part of this, and some of you might remember it. It was called the I Found It campaign. And people would put these I Found It bumper stickers on their vehicles. There were billboards that just said, I Found It. And then we as, as, as believers, I mean, I was still in diapers. Uh, well, not quite. But anyways, would wear these buttons, and it would say, I Found found it. And, and what it was to do was to create this interest with people in society and, and, and people who are out there who aren't in church to wonder, what are they talking about? And so they'd come up to you, you're wearing this nice little I found it button with a little smiley face, and they say, what did you find? And you were to say, does anyone know? A new life in Christ. That was the, the, the canned answer that they gave us, and it was then an opportunity for you to share Christ with them. It was put on by Campus Crusade, and I'm sure it had some effectiveness to it. And, and, and I remember thinking it was pretty cool when we got that bumper sticker on our car, you know, and, uh, you know, as I took the soother out of my mouth and, and just like, whoa, that's cool, you know. I, I mean, and, and so there was this campaign that went on, and, and, and I'm sure there were some good results from that, and the Lord used it. Or perhaps maybe sometimes you've heard a testimony from someone or you've even said in a personal testimony, and it's okay, but we're just going to kind of dig at a little bit here where we say, I found Jesus. 
And you, or, or else maybe you'll even hear the term, this is often used today, you'll hear, hear the term seeker. Or you'll have seeker churches that are designed to be seeker sensitive, sensitive to the needs of people who don't know Christ yet. And, and again, I don't want to get caught up on terminology, but we must understand the work of salvation. Saul was not a seeker. He was not looking for Christ, but he's looking, he was actually running from Christ, and I'll prove that to you at the end of the message. He wasn't, he, he, he wasn't working for Christ, he wasn't looking for Christ, but he was on the run, and he was trying to exterminate believers. He wasn't seeking to, to he wasn't seeking Jesus, he was seeking to threaten, imprison, and kill anyone who bore the name of Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Saul, and the hunter became the hunted. We must understand that Christ is always the initiator of salvation. Luke 19.10 says he, he seeks and he saves the lost. Jonah 2.9 tells us that salvation belongs to the Lord. Ephesians 1.4 tells us even as he chose us. Paul wrote this. This is, this is Saul of Tarsus changed to Paul now writing this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Salvation rests with God. It's nothing we can do. It's nothing we can earn. Now, we may seek and search for him, but it is only as a response to his prior advance of pursuing us. God is in hot pursuit of us. He is in hot pursuit of lost people. Salvation rests with God. And if you still kind of think, oh, is it really that big deal? Here's just a simple way for you to understand it. He chased you until you found him. All right? He chased you until you found him. Jesus orchestrated the Damascus Road encounter for Saul, and he directs our encounter today. It's nothing that you have done. It is all Jesus. Salvation belongs to our, to our God Salvation rests with him. Christ is always the initiator. And this is an important thing for us to realize, folks. That there is nothing in our hand we can do. There is nothing in my hand I bring. Only to his cross I cling. It's with me finally saying yes to Jesus. Second of all, we see salvation requires repentance. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Here you have mighty Saul, who's on his way with his papers all lined up, ready to march into Damascus. You have mighty Saul, now as a humble man, being led into the city by one of his associates. Weak, helpless, confused, blind. This is the mighty Saul of Tarsus. His whole life purpose, his whole mission, all that he thought he was on this world, on this universe, on this planet for, he thought he was doing it, he was being pleasing to God. It all changed, however, when he encountered Jesus. His whole belief system within that very short period of time was turned upside down. And in the next few days of physical blindness where he was unable to see, Paul became even more aware of his spiritual blindness. That he was blind without Christ, that he was dead in his transgressions and sins. Later on in Romans 17, he wrote these words. Romans 7:18, he wrote... 
uh, that apart from Christ, there's nothing good that lives in me. He sees all that he had done as, as, as rubbish. And, 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 and Paul, up until this time, he, again, he thought he was doing what was right. He thought he was a good person. He was sincere. He was committed to his convictions, to the way that his parents brought him up. They would have been so proud of him. But here he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And again, he wrote in Philippians 3, verse 8, later on, he's giving a bit of his spiritual resume. And he says here, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, parents would have looked at the Saul of Tarsus, they would have looked at him and said to their young son, said, you got to grow up to be like him. If they had trading cards that days, uh, in that day of persecutors of the church, I mean, Saul's rookie card would have been worth a lot because, I mean, he was the hero. He's the one you looked up to. He was the, the epitome of, uh, of a Pharisee, of someone who was so genuine about their commitment to God and, and a passion and mission for God that, that nothing would stop him. But what does he say in verse 7 of Philippians 3? He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted it all as loss for the sake of Christ. He actually says it's rubbish. And it's a very, very foul word that he uses there in the Greek language when he even says that all my righteousness, all that I have done was like rubbish, filthy rags. Today, one of the greatest enemies to the church, one of the greatest enemies that you and I will face and even our own heart, is, is moralism. One of the greatest threats to the gospel is moralism. Trying, thinking, hey, I'm a good person. I'm okay. Yeah, I mess up a little bit, but we think that our goodness, our good works, maybe it's our heritage, how we've been brought up, will somehow be pleasing in God's eyes, and that will earn me, or is earning me even now, favor from God, and, and he'll look favorably on me when I die. Sure, I have some flaws and some shortcomings. Who doesn't? But at least not as bad as, as that person or that person, you know, and we kind of put ourselves up on, on, on the scale a little bit higher, you know. And, or we think God will accept me because I go to church, because I serve, because I, I, I'm getting help, I'm getting counseling, or, or I give money, or I try to help others. I generally try to be a good person. And, 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 and whatever people ask me, I try to do. But folks, that's not the gospel. That will not save us. That's good works. That's the rubbish that Paul was talking about. And anyone who truly is saved understands I'm not a good person, but Jesus is a good person. Anyone who is truly saved understands this, that, that there is nothing good that lives in me that will, will allow me to have favor with God. All wrote. Romans 17, verse 18, he says, nothing good dwells in my flesh. You see, Jesus didn't come to, to, to make people better. He, he came to make good people who are spiritually dead alive. That's what he does. James Vernon McGee, some of you would have heard of him. He's an old radio preacher. He since has passed away, but they even continue to, to broadcast his, 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 his messages. He has the Bible bus where he takes you from Genesis to Revelation. I think it's about five years. This old-time gospel preacher. 
I would hear him on the farm. My parents would have the radio on in the summer and in the evenings, the, 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 the gospel radio station from Moose Jaw would, would, would play these, these speakers and, and I would hear James Vernon McGee. Some of you would even know, Maranatha, friends, the Lord is near. He may come today. He may, and he kind of goes on this little rant before he gets into his message. But here's one of the things that he said one time in one of his messages. He says, I want you to know that if you knew my heart the way that I know my my heart, you wouldn't be listening to me. But then he says, before you run to the exits, if I knew your heart the way that you know your heart, I wouldn't even talk to you. Christians, we are broken people. And we know we are not as good as we pretend or try to act ourselves out to be. But we know that Jesus is good and he saves us and he redeems us and we come before him in humility and repentance and say, nothing in my hand I bring. I cling to you, Jesus. We are broken people, but we are redeemed when we come to him. And we confess, we are people who confess initially when we come to Christ and continually in our lives. And so here we have Saul of Tarsus sitting in this blindness. He's fasting, he's praying, and this is a picture in these days of someone who is a repentant and a sorrowful man. And he has come to the end of himself and he is turning, he has turned to Jesus. And that is how we come to Jesus, with a heart of repentance, in humility, confessing that there's nothing in our hand that we bring. You know, sadly today from a lot of pulpits in, in, in our world and especially here in North America, you don't hear this being taught. It's come to Jesus and, and, and all the good stuff will follow along when you do that. Or say yes to Jesus and you'll have less stress and more money and you'll have a better family and, and your desires will all be fulfilled. There's no call to repentance. If you're not a repenter, you're not saved. That is how we are saved, through, through being people that have initially repent and one of the fruits that we are saved is that we're continually repenting of our sins before God because we get our vision clouded we we get distracted prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to lead leave the God I love and we come back to him in repentance true repentance means to turn around it doesn't mean that that Jesus as I've told you before just isn't another app on our phone just to kind of help life and and to be that help button and to be there he wants to be he's everything we surrender ourselves to him Fully. And, and for the Apostle Paul, this meant a 180 in what he was doing. How, what, I mean, his whole mission got changed. And our mission gets rearranged. Our mission in life isn't about having, um, being a successful business person, having lots of money. I mean, all of these things are, are things that come along in life, but this isn't our number one goal. We are, are transformed. We do a 180. God's mission becomes our mission. And we, 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 We rearrange our lives. We do what's necessary for the mission of God. And these are the things that Saul of Tarsus is, is pounding out here in his blindness. My prayer is that every week that we would gather together on a Sunday and we would see how beautiful and how glorious this King of Glory is. And we would see that beauty and we would, would love him more and we would repent of a wandering heart. We would turn away from, from temptations and from our old ways and turn week after week, day after day, hour after hour to Jesus.
See, the mark of a true believer is that we are repenters. Not just that we're repent, you know, that we've repented, but that we're repenters initially and continually. And the church is to be a place of repenting sinners in need of God's grace and mercy. And when we understand that, when we are understanding his grace and mercy, we then extend it to others. It's hard to extend grace and mercy if we don't understand it ourselves. And being in community, in a family, in an earthly family, in a spiritual family like a church, requires much grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, and, and why do we do it? Do we do, we do it when, when we get our weight? No, we do it because we're professional repenters, because Christ has given himself fully and freely to us. And so we grant forgiveness and mercy to others, even though they don't deserve it, even though they don't deserve it. But that's not fair, but it's not fair. Then if we can't forgive, then we, then we don't understand forgiveness in our own lives, and that's a serious problem. Let's continue reading here in verse 10, Acts chapter 9. It says, now there, it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he is seen in a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem and And here he has authority from the chief priest to to bind up all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Could you imagine being Ananias? The Lord comes to him and like, hey, Ananias. Yes, Lord. And he says, hey, I've got something for you to do. It's like, cool, wonderful. I want you to go to Saul. You want me to go to Saul? There's rumors that, that this guy's in town and, and, and you better be careful. Maybe this is a trick. And, you know, I mean, he's imprisoned and put people to death. And maybe Ananias even knew of people back in Jerusalem that had died because of Saul that were put into prison, children perhaps that he knew that had become orphans because of him. And now the Lord comes to him in a vision and he says, go to Saul and I'm sure, but, 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 here I am, Lord, send someone else. That's so often the case, but he doesn't do that. He questions a little bit here and the Lord gives him more clarity. Aren't you glad for the obedience of Ananias? We never hear about him again. We know absolutely nothing. But we are forever grateful that this man was an obedient servant, that he went and he did what the Lord asked him to do. Saul was waiting for him. Are you glad for the people in your life who've been instrumental in bringing you to Jesus? 
people who have sacrificed over the years, whether that be Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, pastors, people who've given money to churches so that you've been able to worship in a place, people who, who have allowed uh, by their faithfulness and by them building into you have allowed you to see Jesus being lived out. Are you thankful for the obedience of those people? I sure am. I wonder today who's waiting on the other side of your obedience. Who, who are you to, to go to? Who are you to be an Ananias, to be like an Ananias and go to a Saul and, and share the good news of Jesus with? Salvation requires repentance, but salvation also results in some other things. Salvation results in a new identity. Ananias was used by God to lay hands on Paul and we see something incredible take place. Verse 15, it says, Jesus um, even says to Ananias, he says in verse 15, go, he is a chosen instrument of mine. You see, salvation, when we come to know Christ, it brings a new identity. He now belongs to God. He is mine. I am his, he is mine. We're in relationship together. And later on, Paul would write in Romans 6, 6, he says, we're no longer slaves to the past. Our past no longer defines us we have a new identity. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says not our own, that we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. We belong to God. New identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has come. The, the old is gone. The new has come. His old ways would no longer define him. He was forgiven. And Christ would become his new identity. That is why his name was changed to, to Paul, to mean, I, God is great, I am small, a humble man. And the rest of his life would be marked as an obedient servant. Salvation brings a new identity, but it also brings a new purpose. Salvation brings a new purpose and a new mission. Everything in Saul's life up until this point opposed Christ, and now his life is done a 180, and everything is being done devoting himself, promoting Christ, seeing Jesus and proclaiming him as the way, the truth, and the life. And instead of breathing out, breathing out murderous threats, he's helping people find life in Christ. Instead of destroying the church, he's planting churches. Instead of incarceration, he's bringing a message of liberation to the people. And if you are in Christ today, you have a new mission. It's not your mission. It's not your agenda. It's the agenda that we have from Jesus Christ. And we are to live out that mission. And what is it? In Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. That is the key thing that we are here on this earth for. If you're still breathing, still breathing, still sucking air, still breathing, still sucking air, our mission is to make disciples first and foremost. It's not just, just, just to build our own little kingdoms here on this earth and, 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 and the Lord, as we seek him first in this, he adds so much more to our lives and he wants us to enjoy this life. But it's getting first things, right things, right. First things first. Whose mission are we living for today? Paul wrote later on in Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are God's workmanship created for good works. We're not saved by our good works, but we have been saved unto good works, to do good works. And so we rearrange, we make sacrifices. Yeah, it'll cost. Yeah, it'll be hard. Yeah, you'll look over your shoulder and say, that's not fair, I've done my part. <laughs> I'm sure glad Jesus never said that. 
Whose mission are we living on today? Whose praise are you seeking? Whose eyes are you wanting to look good in front of? I think of early on in our dating days, an excuse to go on a date with Charlotte or to be invited over to someone's house was to watch a Billy Graham um, little video uh, interview that I had recorded. And, and a friend of mine and his wife said, why don't you bring over Charlotte? And I was just trying to court her at that time or date her, whatever it was. Um, um, and, uh, and so we came over and, and this video that, I don't even know if I still have it to this day, but the, the person asking Billy Graham the question ends up saying it near the end of the interview. He says, Billy Graham, what do you want to be remembered for at the end of your life when you die? What do you want people to say about you? And he says, I don't want people to say anything about me. He says, I don't care what people say about me. The most important thing that I hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Hear that from Jesus Christ. That is the most important. That is the mission that I'm desiring to live for. For his praise, for his glory. There's one name that we serve. Salvation, however, will result in suffering. Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. If you are a genuine believer in Christ, be ready to suffer. It's just biblical. It's in the word of God. Paul later on wrote to young Timothy, he said, 2 Timothy 3.14, he says, all. So last time I checked, all means all. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. You want to live a godly life for Christ? You're going to face persecution. We'll be persecuted, ridiculed, marginalized, and it will cost. And as you look at our world and you're seeing things kind of amp up, we're going to see in, in, in the coming years, I believe, just even it, it's going to be harder to stand for Christ, to stand on the word of God in our world, in our society, even within the church today. And I believe the North American church is heading into a se- season of suffering, of persecution. We're going to lose more and more of our freedoms. And then we'll see who's really left, who's really to stick it out. But it's also a mark of sonship when we are suffering. God's word says it will cost. And it's a guarantee that, that if we identify with Christ, we have to be prepared to suffer with Christ. That's just a reality. Then we also see something else, that salvation results in a new family. Salvation results in a new family. Just to even clarify even the suffering part, I, I want you to realize, though, that when we suffer, you know who's suffering along with us? It's Christ. Notice what he says to, to, to Saul on the road. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting not my people, not my children? He's saying, why are you persecuting me? That when someone cheats you, betrays you, maligns you, makes fun of you for the name of Jesus Christ, they better take it up with the big guy because they're, they're doing that to him. We have him that is there and he brought much glory from his suffering. He will bring glory in your suffering. He will. He's faithful. He's there with us. You're not alone. Stand strong for him. Stand on the truth of the word of God. And, and here's one of the ways that it's, it's going to be easier to do that is, this last one is that salvation results in a new family. 
This is so beautiful. And, and as you dig into the passage, I've never noticed this, never understood this, or I mean, ju- just never saw this in this passage, but it's so beautiful. Ananias goes into the house on Straight Street, the house of Judas. He goes there, different Judas than Judas that we th- might be thinking of. And what are the first words that come out of Ananias' mouth? Saul, you big jerk! Take that and start smacking the blind, blind guy around and giving it to him. That's that for doing that. And what you did to those believers in Jerusalem, what you did to my friend's wife or to my friend's husband or whatever it is, you know, and, and he's, is he giving him a little payback first? He's going to rough him up a little bit and then he's going to do what Jesus called him to do? What are the first words that come out of his mouth? Brother Saul. He's no longer the wicked, the hated. He's a brother. This is what happens. The gospel reconciles us to God and to one another. The forgiveness we've received from God, we extend it to others. No exceptions. If Ananias could walk in there, this brutal terrorist, and he understands what God had called him to do, and he extends this powerful statement to him, brother Saul, and he comes and he lays, he doesn't lay a beating on him, he lays his hands as he was instructed to. And God used him and the scales came off. Brother Saul, we are salvation results in a new family. That's why we desire to be a family, just not a Sunday morning gathering. We desire to be, that's why we have small groups up and going. If you're not in a small group, you're missing out. And you're going to have a battle Get there on a weekly basis. You're going to have voices in your head. You're going to have all kinds of different things that are going to come up that are going to keep you from wanting to come. There's even one Thursday afternoon. Some of our seniors are gathering together at that time. We can give you more information on that as well. But we need to do life together. And community is hard. And we are to welcome others as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. That is what happens on... In the lobby afternoon, after the service, we welcome others. That's what happens in small groups. We welcome others. We welcome them into our lives. We welcome ourselves into their lives. We care for, we walk with, we encourage one another. And I know that's for some, you're in a season where you're not able to be involved. I don't want to heap loads of guilt on you, but you need others in your life who are going to walk with you, not just, hey, how's it going? How's life? How's work? But where we can know and be known because it's, it's, it's hard to live out the Christian life in a way that is effective and transformational in our lives. That's why we've been given a new family and we want to be a part of it. Now to wrap things up here this morning, I want to challenge you and remind you that we must never write anyone off as being beyond the love and the grace of God. Remember that person who we were talking about who's way out there, who you think there's just no way, the vilest offender, Akubagri, al-Baghdadi, whoever it might be, Donald Trump, Putin, whoever it might be, that person in your life, that relative, that friend, that, that, that child, that grandchild who's just way out there. Remember that guy Wayne I was telling you about? After we left Alberta and moved here to Kelowna, I'd keep tabs on him. I'd find out from people, how's he doing? And they're like, oh, he's still coming to church. And then I found out he was coming to small group. I'm like, are you serious? He's going to a small group? Like, and, and I was talking to the guy I was talking to as a small group leader. And I said, what's that like? He says, he is a pain. He said, he, he sits there. He, he's antagonistic. And, and, and just what he does on a Sunday, he does in the small group. 
But people continued to show him the love and he continued to hear the word of God. And a year and a half later, on Christmas Day, he was baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. No one is beyond their reach. And he ended up becoming an encouragement to me and to my family as we walked through a season of discouragement in our own lives. How God could take someone and transform a life in an incredible way. And when I was able to talk and share a little bit with him and, and he heard, he, he knew, he, he said, listen, I'm so sorry for the way I acted in church. But he says, you need to know something. He said, when I would get up and walk out, he said, I stayed near the door and I continued to listen. You know what he was doing? He was kicking against the goads. You think, what are you talking about, Melvin? What do you mean t- kicking against the goads? Well, the goad is a stick that, like this, that they would use to drive oxen or to drive cattle back in Bible days. And they would, to keep them going, that had that sharp stick on there. And, and as, as the farmer, as the, as the worker was working away at driving the oxen, driving the cattle, they would continue to keep prodding them with the stick and they would sometimes kick against it but it's a losing battle because the, the owner was going to continue to keep, keep guiding them and getting them to do the job that they needed to do. If you take and you look at Acts 26, when Paul is sharing his testimony with, with King Agrippa, we get this statement here about kicking against the goads. And we see here in verse 19, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And this stick that was being used, the goads, this stick is, Paul was, was resisting. Paul was fighting there on the road to Damascus. But where did it all started? I believe it was with the preaching of the word with Stephen. When Stephen was preaching the word as he was proclaiming Jesus and Saul is watching all of this happen and, and becoming even more angry and upset, the Holy Spirit was working in his life, was bringing conviction to him. And, and so what it did was it actually got him going even more. He became more angry and more vile, but he was kicking against the goads. The Holy Spirit was working on him. And sometimes the stronger reaction to Christianity, the closer they are to receiving Christ, don't give up. Continue to keep going. You don't know what's happening in the heart. You can't judge the book by the cover. Maybe they're kicking against the goads and we continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to work and that they would finally relent and give in. That person who heard the word of God in your life for years and years and and there's been no response and maybe they're living to a crass level of depravity even now in their lives. You pray that, that, that the word of God that they heard would not return void. Maybe they're in some weird teaching, even a cult or false doctrine or something. Scripture is clear clear that God's word will not return void. And and they may be kicking against the the goads, but we continue to pray and we continue to seek out people and we continue to love them and speak the truth of God's word in love. Stephen had been long dead for a while now, but his words continued to do a work in Paul's life. How about that child who sat in Sunday school year after year after year and today are living, they're living out there. Continue to keep praying that the word of God would, would do a work in their lives, that the, the scales that are on their eyes would, would come off and they would see Jesus. That person that you're witnessing to in words and actions. 
And even though they may be resisting, that the Holy Spirit would continue to work and, and pursue them, and they would say, yes, God can reach anyone. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that salvation is available through you to all who ask. That apart from you, there is no goodness in our lives that will allow us or warrant us to have a relationship with you, will not grant us entrance into heaven. It's nothing that we have done. It's all what you have done, Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that is free to all who ask, to all who receive, you give us the right, the privilege to become sons and daughters of the God of this universe. Thank you for this rich salvation. Thank you for the availability that we have to respond to it today. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, that haven't truly committed their lives to you they would do that today. They would stop kicking against the goads. I think in our own lives, for people who do know you, but we've, we've become, we're drifting, we're getting our eyes on other things, that we would get busy with the mission you've called us to do. And one of those primary missions is to extend love and grace and mercy to others. Share the word of God to serve one another, whether it's here within the body of Christ and out there in the world. God, you can reach anyone, and we pray you would be reaching even this day that your spirit would be at work in the lives of the terrorists that are bringing terror in our world. Pray for political leaders. Pray for leaders in our city, in our region here, that they would have people around them that would speak the, the word of truth, that we would be people who would look for opportunities to speak the name of Jesus to others. Thank you that you have saved us. Encourage you even now here today of be thinking of anyone in your life that is out there and, and spend some time praying for them. Who is that person that you need to be an Ananias to? Right now, you've been, you've been sitting and sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, saying, here am I, send someone else, Lord. The area of serving the Lord, and you say, here am I, send someone else. And you know that the Spirit is calling you. It's been laying it upon your heart. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord and give thanks for the rich salvation that is available. And if you don't know him today, turn your heart over to him love to talk to you during this song or after the service. You would experience salvation full and free today.